The following is a special presentation of the Buccaneers Sports Network. This is the Jay and Keith Show. Two broadcasters, two microphones, and one meticulously scripted podcast. You what? Just kidding. Get it, J.K.? You get it. That's what I thought was so funny. It's not funny. Alongside Keith Brake, here's the voice of the Bucks, Jay Sandoz. All right, it is a Monday. That was a little loud. I come flying in. I'm hot today. Hot, 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 hot mic, hot mic. It is ETSU Monday. We're talking Bucks basketball. More basketball. Basketball. And some more basketball. Basketball. Because I don't want to talk football. I hate football. That is stupid. Jacoby Myers with the dumbest play in history of professional football. You know, I thought it was a bad weekend, Keith, when I had to endure watching the last second game winner by UNCA. And then my New England Patriots and all the podcasters know I'm a huge fan of just said, hold my keg. Mm -hmm. Not my beer, not my six pack, not my case. Not my, I don't know, whatever. Hold, not a pony keg. That that the full keg. That does remind me. Um, hold it. The great Coach Lee Morrow stopped by your office while you were oh, out earlier thank today. Thank goodness I did not see Lee. And uh, he said, um, he said, uh, for all of the L's I've had to wear as a Cleveland Browns fan over the years, mm-hmm. I don't think I've ever endured anything quite like that. I thought the <laughs> Miami Dolphin Matt Wiljum little throwback play where they had Gronkowski on defense and he couldn't he had the angle but he wasn't fast enough and that's the last time he put an offensive player to play defense on a Hail Mary type thing because he didn't throw the Hail Mary I thought that was probably the worst loss I could watch in the last second uh, involving the New England Patriots and then I'm watching the tie game where I'm just like get down get down what are you doing don't throw the ball oh no Mac no and then it was Chandler Jones one of my yeah. favorite Patriots, like the three-time Patriot, <laughs> yeah. who, like Patriots, go play for other Patriot coaches. And, mm-hmm. the, and the nepotism of Patriot players and Patriot coaches happening in the NFL. But to, to, and I like Chandler. And it's so really kind of a vicious circle, isn't it? I mean, they, it's <sighs> they usually go somewhere else sucking and come They back. go somewhere else and they fail, and they uh, hire other people that also uh, fail with them. Um, and then those people that failed with them but didn't fail as spectacularly or visibly go back to New England, rehabilitate their reputation, and then they get the opportunities and they fail spectacularly. It's one of those where, like, I've tried not to be a fan that just goes way over because New England had a 20-year run that was quite ridiculous. Lots of, you know, game-changing moments and miraculous Mm. wins and – you know, Tom Brady at the time being Tom Brady and, you know, things happening like Justin Tucker actually missing a game-winning kick that led New England to get to a Super Bowl. Malcolm Butler. I mean, of course, there was on the flip side, you had the David Tyree, you had the Mario Manningham, you got some other things. But still, New England, you know, the yep. uh, and the play started all, right? The Charles Woodson tuck roll, right? And you, you go back to the <laughs> kind of the original <laughs> thing that set it all <laughs> off. So it's hard. It's <sighs> As a fan, I try not to. It's kind of like I made a deal – so I pull for all the Boston teams except for the Sox. I don't pull for the Sox. I pull for the Cubs because my mom was a Cubs fan. Okay. And and if you want the short story of giving this story before, but short story is, yeah, I come home from school. Mom only liked baseball because, in her words, there's only six things you have to know. It's ball strike, 
fair foul, safe out, and they count by ones. So pretty simple sport. Figured out, but, you know, the Cubs and were always on in the middle of the day. She worked a lot of third shifts, so I'd get home from school. She hadn't quite gone to work. She's watching the Cubs game. We'd watch the Cubs game together. So that's, the you know, dad and the rest of his folks, uh, you know, Northerners, you know, they like Sox or Yankees, whatever. But that was the only, you know, big Celtics guy, you know. That being said, I, I made sort of a, a pact that if New England, uh, New England, if Chicago Cubs got one – World Series in my lifetime. Yep. Would never complain again. Okay. And I don't. Every time all my Cubs buddies are complaining about, oh, they didn't spend money on Correa, they got Swanson, or, or insert whatever. They got Jason Aor. Whatever the complaints are, I send the same thing. We got one. I'm not complaining. I just copy-paste it. I don't – if they want to complain, fine. So I'm kind of saying New England gave a 20-year stretch of ridiculousness with winning and things that haven't been seen – and the number of Super Bowl trips, number of Super Bowl championships, I'm not complaining. If, if they have a 10-year stretch where they lose games like this or do whatever, I'm not that guy. Um, I, I had a stretch because I remember and when New England was the Cleveland Browns of the Cleveland Browns, I remember 13 straight years they had two or more quarterbacks starting every year, which was a record until Cleveland broke it with 14 straight not too long ago. Yeah. So I remember all of those days. I remember all the losing – when your best player they keep talking about was John Hanna or Andre Tippett or Moises Tatupu. Yep. Those, you know, Stainless Stanley Morgan, one of my favorites, Russ Francis. I mean, I can – the Scott say, Zolak days. Can we talk about that? I had to yeah. live through the Scott Zolak <laughs> days. Who's a color analyst now with Bob Sochi? But I'm just – there are so many bad New England teams. And then when they finally started to turn a corner when I was in high school – with Drew Bledsoe, and they got Parcells, and they start turning in. You had to live through the Pete Carroll, and yes, I hate Pete Carroll. Uh, I mean, obviously, I don't know him, but uh, not a big fan of Pete Carroll when he was at New England. And then they get Belichick, and you know, then they go with Brady. I, I, all of that. So I lived through all the bad. Can yep. talk about all the bad. We, and Flutie did like three tours of duty with them. Yeah, we can talk about all kinds of stuff. There. You lived through the Steve Grogan era, where they tried to start Tony Steve Eason, Grogan. Steve Grogan. Yeah. Uh, Here, my personal favorite was everybody remember Craig James, right? Do, do, and everybody remembers him yes. from SMU. But he was a first round draft pick of the Patriots, and the running joke was he couldn't take the pay cut. Right. From SMU <laughs> to New England, the pay cut wasn't enough. Raymond Barry, the head Oof. coach. I mean, I can go Oof. listen. Huge guy. I can talk talk about all of the bad. So all the good. So I am not that guy. But that was tough to tough to watch, and it was tough to watch as I'm stuck in the um, speedway and lights, Christmas uh, light show, whatever. Bristol Speedway, which is phenomenal. You should go do it. It's like twenty bucks. It's fine. Uh, that being said, watching that live on my phone while trying not to say certain things while my kids are in the car was tough. It was it was, it was tough to. I can uh, imagine. Tough to withhold, and uh, I'm going to need a lot of therapy because it was a tough weekend. Tough weekend. Uh, the Cubs- yeah, I was, was going to say, you're you're really, really standing on ceremony. I, I feel like it's better to just rip the Band-Aid off, but if you want, we can also talk about the Myrtle Beach Bowl, which is ongoing as we tape this edition of the Jay and Keith Show, which is UConn and, and Marshall, Marshall, right? Yes. Um, How is Robert Harper's thundering heard? Uh, that's a great question. Because by the time people hear this, it'll probably be over. But there was good. so there was a a fumble on a fourth and one, and yeah. UConn recovered it, and they get the ball in plus territory, and then the very first play of the offensive series, they give it back. That's that sounds right. On another fumble, um, UConn. I don't want to bring it up because UConn 
and Marshall was the matchup the last time the Huskies played in a bowl game in 2015, I believe it was. Yeah, 2015, they played in the Cure Bowl against Marshall and lost. And their head coach that at that time was the eminently quotable for all the wrong reasons, Bob Diaco. Uh, Bob gave one of the most incredibly, uh, just un- unforgettably bizarre speeches one night. I'll play it for you for Say What okay. this week. I will play the, the Balto speech for you. And if you know me at all, you know what I'm talking about when I say the Balto speech. If you're familiar with Bob Diaco or UConn at all, you probably are familiar with the Balto speech. Um, Jody Ambrosio, the longtime great play-by-play voice of UConn, who no longer does games for the Huskies, but um, he he sat through that. He, he told his side of it one time, and he said um, his phone was getting so many text alerts by the end of it that he thought it was ringing. <laughs> like, it was just getting so many, just a constant stream of them. Like, he thought his phone was actually ringing in his pocket. Um, I'm not that popular. No, none of us are. None of us are as popular as Joe D. Nor will we ever be. Basketball? You want you want to do this? You want you want to do it with a bumper? Okay, we can do it with a bumper. No, that way I can mark if people didn't. I'm gonna write in there if people want to live in Jay's misery of the New England Patriots loss. <laughs> you can tune in for the first nine minutes. And in fairness, there are plenty that do hate my Patriots and will love to live in my misery of that. I just wanted to hit a bummer just so we can transition a little bit. So, folks, don't want to hear, and I hope you do skip it. Hope you just now tune in. You're like, what are you even talking about? Don't go we, back. We got to do the don't Anthony Fantano transition. Let's don't let's let's don't even go back. All right, let's talk a little yeah. hoops. Let's talk a little hoops. Uh, I don't want to stick with misery. I'm, I'm going to rip the bandaid off later. I'm going to I'm going to talk about something positive. And that's ETSU women's basketball. Okay, let's do it. Yeah, I'm, do it. I knew, I knew. I like. I see curveball. He thought I was going straight misery and then go good. No. I figured we want to end on, on a the happy high note? note of most non-conference wins in 39 years. All yeah. right, fine. ETSU men's basketball tough <laughs> loss. Drew Pember hits a three. What else you want to talk about, Keith? What, what you want to talk about? Uh, I, I don't, where do you want to start? The the fact that ETSU was able to make a frantic comeback and then I thought when they were able to get the uh, break the press up one get the layup uh, with Seymour and then execute with 4.4 fouling so don't give up the game tying three and you send the 27 percent free throw shooter right four of 15 I think on the season to the charity stripe for a one and one so it's not you're, – you're sitting there going, I don't even think he's going to hit the first one. You get a rebound. He hits the first. And he does hit the first. Misses the second. And all you got to do is grab a rebound. Yeah. And you don't grab a rebound. And then I want to talk about the second thing that needed to happen. You needed a stop, which you got from Jalen Haynes coming from the backside as the off defender and to get was a block awesome. shot. Unbelievable. And there's .7. And I'm going, all right, only a tip. We're good here. Like You just got to protect the basket. Worst case scenario, you don't lose the game. Then when the referee said 1.2, I immediately said, well, that changes things because now you can't have a catch and shoot. Yep. And technically, 0.7, I know you can have a catch and shoot, but let's be honest, very difficult to catch and shoot with 0.7. 1.2, however, very easily to catch and get a shot off within a second. It's been, you know, proven over time. And when 1.2, and really 1.1, because watching – the replay and getting a still shot from our good buddy Tom Raymond underneath the goal. 
it was clearly out of his hands with point one. And then when all zeros, it was another click of the frame, and the ball was well out of his hand. Yep. And it looked good. Unfortunately, it was good. And you just can't make up. I think football had some tough losses where there's the kind of what if this or we need to play here. Oh, we didn't get a flag there. Yep. And that, that was a three different flag things. And, you know, late in the game, players make plays, as uh, our good buddy used to say. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but that being said, I feel like the basketball losses have just been like I don't, you can't make some of it up because we also had in the same game, Justice Smith hit a three, and it's wiped off. No, that was Jacksonville State, wasn't it? I see. Th- no, that was Jacksonville State. These have all happened so much; they all sound the same. ETSU will get down by about ten. They will make a frantic comeback. This is one of the few games where they actually had the lead with a few seconds to go. And they still couldn't hang on. It's just But I do believe there was a shot that was wiped off against Queens. Wasn't there? That was just, yes. So, Tipplers was wiped off against. Yeah, it was in the first That, that was half Appalachian State. That was Appalachian State. The one, it was App State. You're right. That you're was right, App right, State right, with right, Tipplers. Right, right. The Queen shot got wiped off with Justice Smith because it was a foul under the hoop holding um, – on yes. uh, Jalen Haynes, which is way away from the ball. And, again, he got the shot off right as the whistle was blowing. But when it went to the replay monitor, it hadn't left his hand. By t- so uh, there's yeah. just a lot of s- kind of snake-bitten things that you just feel like they're right there. And I will say this, having Brock Jancic back, I think made a difference. I think the toughness inside, and he's going to get more minutes. And no offense to Jeremy Gregory and Brandon Illick, Braden Illick, because I think they are going to be good players. They're just not, I think, ready – for the physicality and because Brock has learned from some of the best and played against some of the best, um, you know, and been in the Rick Barnes system or I, I think there's so many talking of things that he does. Well, I think that's going to be good and it was good to see him back, but I can't believe that one was lost too, because I thought for sure when he came back, they were going to equate to wins. Again, I'm not, you <laughs> This therapy session here. If you get over the hump, can they figure it out from there? That'll be the ultimate question. Because I they've not gone over the hump. What you have to worry about here is the 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 sort of weary resignation that comes with going through this same process over and over and over and over again. ETSU has lost four straight games. By a combined 10 points. 10 total. Not 10 on average. 10 total. Not where you lose a game by 12 and you lose a game by 8 and it averages out to 10. No, they have lost these games by 2, 4, 3, and 1 point. That is something that eventually sinks into your psyche. And you say, what do we have to do? And at some point, it becomes so hard to deal with it that you just decide, sub. you don't even decide it consciously. It's just your body decides it for you. Well, we're not going to. We're just not going to be emotionally invested in this. Because we know that something is going to happen somewhere down the line that costs us this game 
And if we let it break our hearts, it will. So we just don't bother with letting it break our hearts. We expect it to happen. And once that mentality sets in, you've lost. You, you're the the team is lost. The season is in mortal peril at that point. And what this coaching staff has to do, and, and the the task that I think is laid out for them as they go on the road to Baton Rouge this week, and especially once they get ready for Wofford and VMI, and that road trip after the Christmas holiday is going to tell us a lot. Um, is to make sure that this team stays locked in and continues to believe that it is good enough that in the near future, these little fine margins are going to flip back their way and they're going to start winning these tight games and they're going to get that energy back. It's going to springboard back to them, boomerang back to them, rubber band back to them, whatever analogy, whatever physical or metaphysical movement you wish to use to describe it, that it's going to come back their way. And if this group can hold together and stay engaged long enough for that rubber band to spring back to them, then I think they're going to rattle off a big string of wins. But it's avoiding that here we go again, that weary resignation, that uh, f- that drama fatigue, I guess you could call it, that comes from constantly losing these late, heartbreaking, final second type of outcomes. I mean, the difference in 10 points, people may ask, well, that's 8 and 4 versus 4 and 8. If you want to take into account the Appalachian State, Tennessee Tech, Louisiana, take Georgia out of play, and take the seven losses. That's 23 points. That's an average of three points, and, you know, some percentages, almost four. But you're basically seven losses by one possession. Yeah, This sounds a lot like football. Put it this way. Put it this way. Let's swing every game by five points. Every game score is turned by five points this season. Um, ETSU beats Emory and Henry by 17. They beat Elon by uh, eight. Uh, They beat Louisiana by one. They beat Little Rock by, what did I say, by five? They beat Little Rock by three uh, because they beat them by eight. So they beat them by three. Okay. Um, They would lose to Tennessee Tech by two. They would beat Appalachian State by one. They'd lose to Georgia by 10. They would beat Jacksonville State by three. They beat Moorhead State by one. They beat Queens by two. And they beat UNCA by four. So flip around one, two, three, four, five, six games. And this team is 10 and two. If if there are five points different, in the margin of every game, this team is 10-2. and two. That's how close it's been. And that's what I mean is, you know, you shake your head. Jay just shakes his head as he watches all that. He just he processes that. And I'm sure a lot of people are. And the team is too. But you have to be able to overcome that. This The challenge of this season is not physical. It is not a talent deficiency challenge or overcoming uh, a shorthanded challenge because the team is now fully healthy, right? The team is as healthy as it's going to be. 
Uh, you have your full rotation available, and you have a guy in Justice Smith who I think has probably earned the opportunity for significant minutes. If he's not your sixth man playing 25, 26 minutes a night, then he might ought to start. Um, but it, that could be matchup dependent. But I think he's certainly, at the very least, the, sick, the first guy off the bench for this team the way things are right now. Um, you're as, this is as complete as you're going to be as a group. Now you got to go out and start getting the wins to stack together. You've been close time after time after time after time after time. How do you get that to turn your way? And it's all about, to me, it's about mental toughness. It's about mental resilience. It's about being able to stomach these losses, which is really hard. And being a, a, a Division One athlete is really, really hard. So, like, you know, there, I mean, there's a reason that a lot of, there's there's a high attrition rate, especially at Division One mid-majors, um, because this is tough. This is a moment that can make or break your season. Not this game coming up against LSU, but the the really the week that follows. At Wofford, at VMI, Western Carolina, you get Furman, which feels more and more like a prohibitive favorite in the SoCon, if I'm being honest. And then you go on the road to Charleston. If you win three or four of those games, it's game on. If you lose all five, then we know what the outcome of all of these, this string of tight losses has been. But the challenge of this season is mental. I'll show you just uh, using the same logic, just doing a touchdown difference in football on every game. Yeah. So it's eight and three. Okay, yes. instead of three and eight. Wow. And, and to wow. do you another one, they'd be seven and two in FCS with the only losses being Furman and Samford. That probably gets you in the playoffs. If that's your only two losses, because you would have – that would have flipped chat one more loss. Mercer – Mercer – I'm sorry, not – I'm sorry, I'm sorry. It would be Mercer, mm. Samford, the three losses – I did that wrong. Mercer, Mercer Samford, Furman. Samford. So they'd be seven and four. Furman, seven and four. You're right. I did do that wrong. Seven and four. Not the playoffs, but they'd be, seven they'd and be four six over and three. Three and eight. in the FCS. Which wouldn't get you in there, so but gone. seven and four is still a different than three and eight, right? It's amazing. And, and okay, let's even take that a step further uh, and look at last year's football. Again, just doing the same thing. If you had a seven point swing, ETSU still beats Vandy. They still beat Wise. They still beat Delaware State. Now you're talking about a double overtime game with Sanford, right? It's a push. I, don't, I mean, so yeah, that will yeah, we'll call that. I mean, a, a tie. We don't have a tie, but let's you know swing that. Wofford ends up beating ETSU if you swing that. Then uh, ETSU would beat Chat, so you make up that. But then you lose to Furman. You have another tie. VMI still playing football. Then uh, you lose to Mercer, and then you're not even in the play. So, again, if you, it's how fine it is. We talk about it all the time. Yep. And again, it's one of the few things I think Coach Bartow uh, gave me that holds true. And especially, I think you do it in every sport. But in those one possession, four, his was like five points. In a five-point basketball game, what is your record? In five points or less, if you are above 500, yep. you got a special year. If you're like 10 and 2. If you're 6 and 6. Yep. You're 500, and if you're over in that, you're down. And right now, four and eight kind of speaks to 
where ETSU basketball is at. Are they are they awful? No. Are they not winning games and the record is what it is? Because you are mm-hmm. what your record says you are, right? In yep. the long run, no matter what we do and spend everything we want to spend, you're still whatever that record is, four and eight is exactly what you are. But, man, you sit there and look and go, it's amazing what just ten little points, even if we don't do the five-point deal, what ten little points – Going the other way would be an eight and four, and you're sitting there going, okay, you know, had a, had a couple of losses, you're like, eh, but you've you've won some tight games, and if you won the last four games, you're talking about a five game win streak. Going into LSU, which I think is still not completely out of the realm, and looking at their scores, looking at some of the they have, things that they, they haven't do. exactly blown anybody out of the building yet. They uh, they had a tight one with Winthrop as well. I mean, they're ten and one, but all of those games have, have been. You know, pretty competitive. I, I look at their schedule. I mean, they had a couple blowouts early, and then they beat New then, Orleans pretty good. Yeah, yeah, it went like thirty in that one. And other than that, you're, the last like six, seven games are all single digits. Three points, Wofford. Four points, UT Arlington. Two points, Wake Forest in Atlanta. NC Central they beat by ten. Winthrop they ended up beating by eight, but that was a pretty nip and tuck game most of the way. Winthrop led a couple different times late in the first half. So, yeah, they've been in some pretty competitive ones, for sure. And, again, kind of apples to apples, oranges to oranges. We've seen, you know, Furman beat Winthrop. We've seen um, uh, what Wofford's been able to do. And, again, they've got some other issues because of the Jay McCauley thing. But when they were there, I mean, they've got a couple three-point losses at Vanderbilt, at LSU, not, again, upper echelon SEC teams. And this is Matt McMahon's first year, so he's probably set a schedule up, you know, not wanting to challenge as much uh, as he will maybe later as he starts thinking about at-large and everything when he's just trying to build a program. But, I mean, that that game against – uh, Wofford had a little bit of back and forth lead changes. The game against Winthrop also was a game that that went back and forth and had a lot of lead changes. And so I I think ETSU has a shot again to be semi competitive. Yeah, nine ties, seventeen lead changes in the Winthrop game. Both teams shot over fifty percent. Now that is one thing I think ETSU still needs to do is shoot the basketball better. And I still think it kind of starts with number two, Jordan King, and you just – or I do. I don't know if you do. I don't speak for you. I just am waiting for sort of the lid to be ripped off kind of whatever jar that he is in right now. If I had – if I had a dollar for every time I have seen a Jordan King three this season that looked good out of his hand, that hit the inside of the rim – more than at least once, but sometimes more than once, and just pop back out like some supernatural force just pushed it back up straight up in the air and out. If I had a dollar for every time he's had one pop back out on him halfway down, I could buy a Lamborghini. It feels like. I mean, it really feels that way. Um, it's just at some point, those shots have got to start going in for him. Because um, if not, then ETSU has to find a way around that. You either have to get more confident in Justice Smith, who is, in fairness, getting much more confident in his jumper. Uh, you have to get more confident in Josh Taylor. And certainly, you know, DeAnthony Tipler is is doing his thing and, and has been scoring at a high level from the perimeter uh, pretty consistently 
for the Bucks this season. But everything becomes a whole lot easier if Jordan King can walk the ball up for you and then be a legitimate threat to pull up between the rings and drill it from 26 feet. Uh, and that just has not materialized yet this season for a guy that we all believe has the ability to do it. I will say this. Looking at the LSU-Wofford game, eight ties, 19 lead changes. Wow. And Wofford shot 48%. I mean, you can get shot opportunities, and from two, you can get points on the board. Can ETSU score enough, though? That uh, Scoring 80. But again, if they play a game, LSU, 63-59, 67-57. I think ETSU, 72-70. I think ETSU's got a shot. If it gets to the 80s right now, ETSU is not proven. I think that they can score an 80. Is it a 70 game? I think they can get there. You know, Wofford was 78-75 with LSU. I, you know, and LSU's got a couple guys that ETSU saw last year. Um, K.J. Williams was the OVC player of the year. was a game that he played against ETSU down in Naples. He had 18 points, 10 rebounds. Mm. Uh, Trey Hannibal had 10 points versus ETSU. They got another transfer from NC State, Cam Hayes, and he's been uh, lately going bonkers. He scored double figures last three games, 13-14, and then 25 last game. So if he's starting to find his range, uh, because he was not one of the guys that I was looking at on the scoring sheet. Certainly K.J. Williams, he's averaging 19 Again, he had 18 and 10 against ETSU last year, so they're yeah. going to have tape on him. They're going to know. Adam Miller is another score transfer from Illinois. Uh, it's kind of a post guy that's going to uh, create some problems. And then they got the demigod, Mwani Wilkinson. I don't know. I don't know if he's a demigod or not, but Mwani is there. We'll see. Uh, he's a guy that comes off the bench and scores. So ETSU, this is not a just like Georgia. I don't think this is an unwinnable game. Now. If ETSU doesn't have somebody play like DeAnthony Tipler and Brock Jancic, then yes, I think it's going to be difficult for them to compete. But all signs right now is that everyone played last game, and unless something's happened on Monday when we record in the afternoon to Wednesday, I think everyone is going to be healthy and playing again. And with a top eight guys, and I'm throwing Justice Smith, who had a 15-6 and six game, and again continues to do some things defensively. He got on the floor, created some steals. I think – ETSU can hang with about anybody because the league is just not right now that strong. I think Chattanooga, Furman, Samford, even though Samford has some head-scratching games and they've still got some guys that aren't playing every game, which I haven't figured out uh, yet, and there's no reporting as nobody cares about them down there uh, in Homewood, Alabama, or Birmingham enough to report on it, why those guys aren't playing. So we're having to play the guessing game unless uh, Socon John or somebody else out there knows and can relay that to me. But those are the three top three teams, and they've had games where they've not looked like that. They've had some games where they have. And I think Furman had a nice win against Stephen F. Austin, tried to give it away. They didn't. They tried to give it away. And then, of course, Jake Stevens had like a 32-20 and 20 outburst and still lost against Belmont. And everyone kind of knew when he got away from VMI, if he was putting up those numbers, then people would take note because when you're at VMI, people just forget about you even if you put up solid numbers. So, again, I don't think that the league is as cut and dry with some runaway teams. I still think those three are probably the best. And then after that, I still think it's a crapshoot. You know, Wofford's got certainly question marks. UNCG's had some nice wins. But, again, they've got a couple of head scratchers on their schedule as well. Mercer's another one that every time I think that, that Greg Gary's got it kind of turned around, they'll, they'll lose one. And now they just beat Moorhead State pretty good at home. And then um, 
you know, Viamon, Citadel, have each had a couple wins, and then you you, you kind of look at them a little sideways. I think Western Carolina is another one that they're trying to figure it out. But you know, ETSU's gonna really have to try to figure it out here soon, especially when you talk about you got to go on the road to start league play at Wofford, which does seem like a winnable game at this point, depending on how things shake out there. At VMI, I don't think it's a cakewalk. Now, the cadets aren't there. That definitely changes things. They're doing free admission. So I think it's more difficult to play VMI on a Saturday when they mandate the cadets are in there making noise and bringing the energy. When they're not there, it is Ghost Town and Maggie Valley. There's 50 to 100 people, no atmosphere. And, again, ETSU has had to play in front of the most abysmal fans – and environments, I think, this year. And I think that does matter. But Tennessee Tech, 130 people max were there. Moorhead State, probably the same. They had yeah. a bunch of guys leave at halftime because they had a football recruiting weekend. So they had some families and recruits that were up there in the kind of the, the end zone behind one of the goals yeah. for the first half. And they left at halftime. And then you're going to go play VMI in front of 100 people max. And I think those are brutal. But that, yeah, that reminds me of the days uh, playing USC Upstate in the the little you know uh, box of Cracker Jacks that they've got for a gym down there. Uh, except that they also had an NBA dude on the roster at the time. Oh, Tory Craig. Oh, Tory Craig. Yeah. yeah, that uh, that was that was maybe a little bit added a little bit more to the challenge than just being in a small gym with weird atmosphere and, and kind of like you're talking about with VMI. But yeah, you know when you go on the road, you got to create your own energy. I mean that's something that's not new for any of these guys, I don't think. I mean, they all played high school basketball. A lot of them played in small-town high school basketball or at smaller high schools that traveled to those smaller outlying towns and uh, played in, in uh, visiting gyms where there weren't a lot of people, there wasn't a lot of energy, you had to bring it yourself, or if you didn't, you know, the other team, they, they had the energy of playing at home and... Uh, Fans or no fans, playing at home can help you a little bit, but uh, that sometimes that's all it takes if you just don't bring the juice on the road. That's got to come from within. It's got to come from within. Uh, and that's kind of like I talked about. The challenge of turning the season around is not a physical challenge, right? This is not double dare. You cannot take the physical challenge because this team would win the physical challenge. I think they are good enough physically to win that sort of challenge. This is a mental challenge, a challenge of your resilience, a challenge of your drive. How much do you love putting on the uniform and going out there and saying, I'm going to tear it up today for ETSU. And if you love it that much, you're going to go on the road, maybe not to LSU. You could go on the road and beat LSU. It's a winnable game. But on the road at Wofford, a team is trying to figure out its identity after its coach stepped aside in the middle of the, the non-conference season on the road to VMI. Yeah, those are games you can win. Those are games you can win. But you have to overcome the mental challenge before you can win the physical challenge. Let's talk about overcoming road wins. Hashtag road grits. Yeah, how about... Road wins down two starters. Can we talk about that? Road dubs. You know what I like? Road dubs. I told you it's personality. Yes. I would rather win on the road and send people home unhappy. Again, Drew Pember lived my dream because he got to 
oh, celebrate man, and wave that's... by and all the things that make me hate people, but that's what I like. I like, and again, as uh, Randy Sanders told me, between me and him, it's our personality flaws that we take great pride in other people's misery. But I, there is something about winning at home and you celebrate with the fans and all that, but for some reason – when you're on the road and you Keith, you broadcast and you you hear all the 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 trash and all the fans talking and to watch them go home. My favorite is actually not the buzzer beater. It's when they go home with like a minute minute and a half left, <laughs> and then I can ask them where, where, where are you going? What are you doing? It's more time on the clock. Come on. Oh, boy. it's not over. What are, what are we doing? You you and Kevin Brown are quite a pair on press row. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, we're not a good combination. No doubt about that. You you just get each other in trouble is what you do. Uh, but yeah. yes, ETSU, uh, sixty four fifty two over UNC Asheville. No Kendall Foley. No Journey McDaniel on Saturday afternoon in Asheville. But they made it happen anyway. Uh, two big buckets early from Malia Kurtner. Uh, they got extended minutes for the first time this year from Jalea Cotton. She played 11. Sarah Thompson was really good off the bench. Three of seven from three. Finally, getting the three-point shots to go in. Uh, one of the better games of her young career. And uh, that, that helped ETSU get where they needed to go. Courtney Moore with a good number as well. Devay Brown in double digits once again. Uh, and uh, Jayla Rufus Milner just gobbling up every single loose ball everywhere she is on the floor. That's the formula, right? That's the formula for success is your your big shooters contribute, your interior players are rebounding effectively, one or both of your big gun scorers, uh, primary ball handlers in Neve and uh, Giselle Thomas, at least one of those two goes off, and you play phenomenal defense. And... Now you have 10 wins in non-conference play. And I'll, I'll put this nugget out there because I'm going to use it tomorrow on the broadcast against Longwood. ETSU um, was a um, an inaugural member of SOCON Women's Basketball. The Southern Conference launched a Women's Basketball Championship for the first time in 1983-84, which was two years after the NCAA launched the Women's Basketball Championship, the SOCON began sponsoring um, its own separate Women's Basketball Championship in 1983-84. So that's when non-conference play, as we know it, began. ETSU won 11 non-conference games that year. They have not won 10 or more since. Until Saturday. 39 years they went nothing but single digit conference or non-conference wins and there were teams in there that were really good Jay you and I bore witness to some of them when uh, ETSU went to the NCAA tournament three straight years in the A-Sun but none of those teams did what this team has done and if they win tomorrow night against this Longwood team that is a far cry from the team that went to the dance last year, they will tie the most non-conference wins in ETSU women's basketball history. That's unbelievable. Considering when Coach <laughs> Brenda Mock Brown got the job, everything that was going on, and I know a, a popular term if I can still or borrow whatever you would like to say from Des Oliver, but the, the trauma of 
losing the trauma thing. How about the trauma of like Courtney Moore having three different coaches in three years? Coach Mock was hired on August 8th. August 8th. I mean, this is – you're talking about – and again, ETSU will never win National Coach of the Year. It just refuse to believe that that is ever going to be on a national level, not a regional level, not a – you know, you'll see that sometimes. They were named the All-South Regional Coach. But, like, it will never go to that. But if she continues to – put up gaudy numbers and gets to the NCAA tournament. I defy anyone in America to find a better coaching job in women's hoops this year. She's almost already did it now, and we don't even played a conference game. I'm just trying to think of – She had 86 days to get her team ready for the first game from the day she was hired. 86 days! And they're ten and three. That and one of the losses is to the number one team in the country. I could not have imagined this when I when when I stepped on campus. I was I was hopeful that they would win double digit games this year because traditionally the team has not been that great. They haven't won double-digit games since 2018-19. That's four seasons ago. They won 20 games the year before, but ever since then, it's been tough. It's been tough sledding for women's hoops in Johnson City the last four or five years. And Coach Mock has changed that virtually overnight. It's the same roster, well, it's not the same roster. It's a very different roster, but it's a roster she didn't recruit. She didn't recruit anybody on this roster. She didn't hire any of these assistant coaches. They were all here when she got here. And that is such a unique challenge. And I talked to her about that a little bit. Um, and it is like, do you ever just take stock of what you're doing here? And uh, I'll have to go back and, and find the the quote from our conversation because I, I thought it was a it was really interesting to just get the coach's insight because normally you have a chance like you inherit a team you say okay I'm going to bring in one or two players I'm going to maybe you know there's an assistant that doesn't agree with me philo- philosophically so we're going to make a change uh, I'm going to bring in somebody else um, you know going to do some other stuff to shuffle this and that she didn't have a chance to do any of that with this new job and has already won the most games this team has won since the 2018-19 season. And we're not even halfway through the season. That's just incredible. What a remarkable achievement it's been. It, if this team... What what does this team have to do in conference play for Mock to get coach of the year? Nine and five? Yeah, if she finishes top three... In the Southern Conference standings in a twenty-win team, I would. How in the? I mean, you think about that. Like, if you if you go nine and five, let's say let's say they win because they're going to win at least one more non-conference game. They're playing Converse. Let's say they win their last three conference games or non-conference games. They beat Longwood tomorrow. They beat Mount Saint Mary's in Cherokee, and they beat Converse. So they are thirteen and three going into SoCon play. They go nine and five in SoCon play, that's 22 and 8. 
That's your conference coach of the year. Got to be. Has to be. Has to be. You know, they're net ranking, they're 117. Wofford's 97 net ranking on the women's side. Chattanooga 118, ETSU 171, Mercer uh, 243, Sanford 277, Furman 296, UNCG 320, Western 341. But ETSU at 9-3, and 4-1 four and one on the road. That's that's the almost only, more impressive. That's what I'm trying to figure out. How the, I've been trying to see who who's played who, but Wofford is three and three on the road, three and zero at home. Yep, uh, two and zero against non division ones. You got to throw those out. Then let's see, Chattanooga's four and four on the road, just two and one. My goodness, they're road dogs. They've only played three home games. Yeah, out of that, then ETSU's four and one on the road, two and one on neutral site there in Vegas, and then three and one. At home with one non-D1. 0-3 on the road for Mercer. 0-2 on a neutral site. Just 2-1 at home for the Mercer Bears. And I'm just clicking on some of the schedules, and I just don't see – I guess they played another – they played a couple power fives. And Chattanooga's, I think, played three power fives. So, they played uh, – let's see, Alabama – nope, just two. Alabama and Tennessee, right? Yep. So, they just, they played two. So, I could see how strength the schedule. I mean, ETSU also played the number one team ranked in the net on the road in right. South Carolina. So, that's going to help that too. I, it's, it's a little hard to compare um, – I mean, certainly I know what women's Belmont, uh, what they do, but, you know, Austin Peay, Tennessee State, Murray State, Kennesaw State's particularly usually not good. They also played Asheville. I'm talking about uh, Chattanooga. Then at Georgia State for Wofford, their games at Youngstown State, at Clemson, then they hosted Coastal, uh, at High Point, at Wilmington, non-D1. They hosted Davidson, App State, non-D1, and then they went to uh, number eight, North Carolina, they went to at Bellarmine, uh, which is a pretty decent mm-hmm. women's program as well. That means it's hard, and they go to Tennessee, so I could see how the the net for Wofford would be a, a little stronger, uh, considering they're going to have a third, uh, uh, you know, Power Five team that they're going to have on the schedule, and North Carolina, Tennessee, uh, and then Clemson. Um, uh, those are going to help stack that net ranking. But that being said, on a national level, when she got the job. The historic things, if they continue to go, she wins twenty or more games. Brenda Mock Brown gets them to the top three in the SoCon, or goodness gracious, wins a regular season or gets the NCAA tournament. I, I don't know how in the world that. And Dr. Santos, plenty of pull in the old uh, kind of that basketball realm, wouldn't be trying to figure out like how do we get this recognized and some former fashion of going. But you're talking about historic feats in ETSU's women's program right now and still a couple more winnable games before they get to league action. And we need to start, I guess, in chronological order because tomorrow, Tuesday. Yes, uh, Tuesday is tomorrow. It's going to be the Longwood Lancers coming to town, who is not off to a particularly great start at 1-9. This team went to the dance last year and won a game in the NCAA tournament. Uh, they are a far cry from that right now. They played Richmond um, about a week ago, and Richmond's Richmond's decent team, right? I mean, they're they're like eight and three. You know, it's a good A ten team, but it's not a team that's just like wow, look out for Richmond. Longwood lost to that team by sixty four points. I I just they lost to Wake Forest by forty. Uh, they lost to William and Mary by ten. 
All of their losses have been by at least double digits. Drexel was 13. Virginia Tech, they lost that game by 61. They beat, they lost to Louisville by um, 63. Did I have the right 63? Yeah. Uh, JMU, they lost by 27. Towson, they lost by 11. Uh, Delaware, they lost by 20. And then they beat Ohio by one on November 10th. So that's 49 days ago is the last time this team won a game. Yeah, they're ranked 353 out of 361 in the net. Yeah, I, this is this is a game that I think if you're ETSU, given the way that your season has started, given the way that your team is playing, even playing without Foley and, and McDaniel, which if you can even get one of those players back, I, I think you feel really good about your chances of winning this game. But this is one I, I think we you're almost in a position where you expect this team to win. Um, they, they're getting crushed on the glass. Um, turnover margin is not good. They're not shooting. The, they're shooting the ball at 30% from the floor, 25% from three. Uh, given your team's ability to play defense and to make teams play to extremes, uh, I, I think that's one that you have to be really confident in. There are a couple of good players. Um, you know, uh, Adriana Ship Davis has been there for a little bit. Uh, now Redshirt Jr. is is you know started to get better, and then. Uh, Ann Hamilton Leroy has been there for a long time. You know, she was all freshman a couple years ago. Um, averages almost 11 points a game for her entire career. Now a senior out of South Carolina. There, there's a couple of okay players there. But given what you've seen from the perimeter guards, the, the, the perimeter guards is redundant, but given what you've seen from the guards and their defensive ability, how can you, in any shape, form, or fashion, um, automatically assume that a team's just going to be able to come in here and light it up? They don't have the size, the length, the explosiveness of a Bowling Green. In fact, I'm not sure there's any team that ETSU is going to face the rest of the year that can do to them what Bowling Green did, which is speed them up at both ends of the floor uh, and be sufficiently disruptive utilizing, I mean, just athleticism and great hands and great positioning and being so supremely well-coached um, and, and so supremely in sync with each other. I just don't think there's a team left on ETSU's schedule that can do that to this team. Um, I, I think I think they got a really good shot to win some games, and it starts on Tuesday night against the Lancers, a very good chance of beating this team in Brooks Gym. Then on, and I, so I'm not sure we'll have a show uh, between then and there. Thursday, they'll be over in Cherokee, North Carolina, again at the actual Cherokee Casino, the Harris Cherokee Casino in Cherokee, North Carolina, not the, Asheville, the old Asheville Civic Center known as the Harris Cherokee Civic Center. So I just right. want to put that it out is there. Different. It is actually a little further away where the casino is. In Cherokee, North Carolina. That hair is invitational. So that's where that'll be Thursday night, and that'll be Mount St. Mary's, and that will be on the radio. That is another game where they have uh, not won on the road. Um, and I think they've only they got three, four maybe home win, but I think one's a non-division one. Yes, so, uh, Pitt, Johnstown. Yeah, so they've picked up some wins at home, but they have not won 
on the road. And yeah, so some of those teams, right. They, they played uh, Richmond, as you mentioned a little bit earlier. Yeah. NC Richmond state, Virginia tech, which we know is a pretty solid team. They beat Navy by nine, um, at home, which is a decent win. Uh, UMBC is traditionally not a very good program. They beat them by six. Um, I think this is another game that's very winnable. But Mount St. Mary's is, I'll, I'll say this, Mount St. Mary's is clearly better than Longwood. I agree with that. You and look, it's on a neutral floor. It's on a neutral floor. Um, you know the A makeshift floor at that. Yes. Um, you, you look at, at, at the Mount, they traditionally struggle away from home. Like that, that, that team has, has struggled away from home. Um, the Mountaineers will come to Asheville and we'll see what happens. We'll see whether, you know, home team Mount St. Mary shows up or road team Mount St. Mary shows up because they have to get on a bus and travel. Uh, for ETSU, it hasn't mattered. And I think that's probably the most important element of that is getting on a bus to ride down there 45 minutes an hour and play uh, a game just against a team. And you're, you're this is the nightcap of a, like, I believe it's an invitational or high school tournament of some kind. Yeah, it is. Um, so they've got a bunch of different games going on. And night one, it is Wilmington and Western, Western Carolina. Carolina. Yes. And then night two, it's Mount St. Mary's and, and ETSU. They're and those are called the nightcaps. Yes. yes. They, like they actually brand it as the nightcap. Uh, they've got, I think it's a, a little bit of an all-day event. I think they do have some high school. They do have, I think, a couple small college, and then it leads to the Division One games. Yes. If I saw the thing correctly. I don't have it pulled up in front of me, but I'm almost positive that is um, how that has worked out. So, um, Also, yeah. I forgot about Mercer. I was just looking at them. I forgot they uh, because they had the weird tropical depression slash hurricane there early November. Yeah. They had to cancel two of their games, uh, road games, at Central Florida, at bethune Cook. I'm looking at that schedule, and that says four and seven to me. Yeah. And, uh, and <laughs> now they played – at Wake Forest. Well, it's four and seven instead of three and six. Like and they, they should have won one of those games and lost one of those games. But, I mean, they, they played a couple power five. I mean, like at Wake Forest. Um, they scheduled very aggressively. Colorado State, Texas Tech, Alabama, Georgia. Yes, they did. They they they, they put themselves in. And then they're going to do a uh, home and home with one of the better mid-major teams in college basketball, Florida Gulf Coast, the Eagles. Mm-hmm. And so that's they're going to play once before Christmas and once right after Christmas to get ready for league action. So uh, both those teams – I'm sure trying to gear up. So uh, it's maybe too – again, that's why it shows you sometimes non-conference, not exactly apples to apples and oranges to oranges. So, all right, let's look at our uh, women's basketball. We will uh, maybe – it depends on signing day Wednesday. Uh, may have a special signing day special. I'll be on the road. Uh, Keith will be here, and we might be able to get that going. If yeah, the I mean, signing period goes a little late and we're not getting all the names in because of the game, I'm not sure we can get it in on Wednesday. Honestly, worst case scenario, it can just be the the Keith and Keith show, and I can sit down here with GQ and we can talk about the recruits. We can do that too. Yeah. No, it's, uh, uh, George met my fiance uh, at the Christmas party. We we you know, we had the big Christmas party that you were there for like forty five minutes and um, not even that long. Yeah. No. So almost had to go work, Keith. Yeah. No. Uh, well, of course, George is high school coach and uh he met my fiance is like yeah she went to uh gatlinburg Pittman, and he's like oh yeah benny hammonds and then they start cutting it up about benny hammonds i'm like she never told me about the high school coach at the time or maybe she did and i just forgot it because i, I don't know but like 
she starts telling all these stories about Benny Hammonds and he starts trading stories about Benny Hammonds. And I just like, well, aren't you two just getting on like a house on fire? No, George, George is, uh, George is great. Uh, are you oh, jealous of the football coach? I'm confused here. Are you just, no, you're I not just, a Benny Hammond fan? Do I, I need to no, I just thought it was funny. It's like the guy's got a story for everybody, including people who don't watch football. He's got a connection for everybody. It's amazing. That's how they do. Yeah, no. George, George has been... I've really enjoyed working with George. The season was what it was. I've enjoyed working with George so far. George and Torbush are a lot alike. They kind of mosey in. A little bit, yeah. yeah ask mosey questions. in, low profile. Hardly yeah. ever talk football. Unless you ask them football questions. Exactly. Like they talk about everything else. 100%. So, you know, they don't curse at you like Randy did. You know, Sanders would walk in, say something derogatory towards you, curse at you a little bit. Well, that just that just brings out your army. Kind of like the, the the fun uncle, you know. Rain, Randy was more of that that type guy. That, oh no! They got your mother warned you about. It. All right, when you go oh, see this guy, no. you know he's probably had a few. He's gonna say oh, something, no. you know. Just, it's all in fun. All right, that's our show. <laughs> we talked basketball. We'll talk. We'll figure out football. We'll do a football Saturday. We'll do some football, and we'll eventually go over other stuff. Jane Keith, Raiders Network. Eventually. Oh, you gotta be kidding me!